Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner and today my guest is Dr. John Augsburger and we're going to be talking about free your mouth with biodentistry. Dr. Augsburger has a wealth of knowledge. I really learned a lot. He really studied with some of the pioneers and founders of biological dentistry and he's evolved this knowledge and evolved his work to really have this really comprehensive, holistic view of how to combine dentistry with the rest of the body. And he's training dentist. So if you're out there and you're looking for a mentor and looking for a path to really change your life and career and really get to the root cause of, you know, why people are so sick today, please check out his information and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner and I'm here today with my new friend and new mentor and colleague, Dr. John Augsburger. And we're going to be talking all about how to free your mouth in this whole emerging paradigm shift in dentistry that a lot of us have tuned into, but there is so much more room for knowledge and training and patient education. So we're going to really dive in today. So welcome, John. It's really an honor to have you on the podcast. Uh, Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, Christine. Always a pleasure to do what we can for the world and for the health of humans. And uh, such an interesting conversation every time I dive into talking about the oral health of how it connects to the humans. So I am just delighted to be here, be a part of it. Yeah, well, thank you. And our, you know, I, I always kind of love how the universe guides me into who I'm going to be interviewed on the podcast. And we have a mutual patient. And then I've you know, heard your name through other, you know, colleagues and friends. And, you know, the work that you're doing is really esteemed. And you have this really unique way of not only just looking at what we've called biological dentistry or biodentistry as an alternative to conventional dentistry in our country, but really, you know, we, we do such a disservice when we look at it just as the the mouth is separated from the rest of the body. It's really so interconnected. And you look at the whole organism, the whole body and your protocols and your methodology. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to just learn more from you personally, so I can help more of my patients and anyone who's listening out there for them to kind of just have some light bulbs go off. Or if you're dealing with a chronic condition and you haven't, if you've been scared to look at the dental piece, hoping that you're going to feel more confident today. So we'll, we'll dive in. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Good. So John, you know, with any kind of path that we, you know, find this vocation, I mean, I was reading your bio, like you've been in and out of like your father's office at age 16. And he was an orthodontist, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I ended up being his lab technician in high school, which really, really added to my career in being able to produce immediate dentures. Uh, within a matter of hours, and being able to really have control over the fit and aesthetics, all those kinds of things. So yeah, my career started at age 15. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's been in your DNA, your lineage to do this work, right? You had no choice on some level. This was a profound... It was either, yeah, it was either that or play the drums in a rock band. Yeah. Like <laughs> Hopefully you still have your drums, you know, but... Hey, I do. You know, but oh, yeah. It's probably a better path to have the dentistry be your livelihood, right? So yeah. it's a great marriage. So how did you, you know, your dad, you know, was in orthodontics, you were in the lab, and then you went to conventional dentistry school because that's really all there is. Right. You know, there's really not any like foundational training in dentistry at this point to do anything other than conventional. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think it might be heading a little more towards biological, but certainly not as as biological as a as it should be. Yeah. And then when did you really wake up to I mean, were you already awake at sixteen because of your father's practices or you had to get deep pro- unprogrammed about- Absolutely. Yeah. So it really, when I decided to go to dental school, it was in the mid 80s. So I went through dental school in the late 80s. And when I was, what was interesting when I was in dental school, I found out that dentists had the highest suicide and divorce rate of any profession. So for me, at a young age, the writing was a little bit on the wall. So it just made me curious as to why that might be. Little did I know about the toxicity in dentistry, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. But that, was a big deal. I always thought it was really the stress of the work environment, seeing the hours my dad put in, but I didn't really know that it was associated with, it could be associated with some toxicity around mercury exposure, those kinds of things. So 
in what happened for me is it just feels like my path was kind of divinely guided. I happened to be in the right place at the right time a couple of times in my life. The first one being I was watching 60 in Minutes CBS News uh, program Sunday night, and they were talking, they had an episode that was talking about mercury filling. And I was a traditional dentist at the time. And, you know, which means I called that the days of putting my roller skates on and going to work. And, you know, it was very insurance driven, what I call insurance driven disease care. And it's very mechanistic, just the dentist being the tooth, having a very mechanistic approach and being very Newtonian. So I was watching this about how mercury's off gassing and that now there's some science that is available that, that really lend the conversation to it being phasing out of dental amalgam fillings. And of course, they called them amalgam, but they didn't call them mercury fillings, which they should be because they're greater than. So there was some science to that. And a guy named Hal Huggins came on and was interviewed as to be the one filling should, you know, we now have science that these fillings should be outlawed. And I happened to be in Colorado Springs, where I left the state of Iowa, where I'm from, and went to practice in Colorado Springs. And here's a dentist immunologist on 60 Minutes talking about this, and he's in my my current hometown. And so and that really struck me. I was like, I absolutely have to know this. So I called him up, said, I'm a young dentist on the other side of town, and I really want to learn more about what you said and where the science and said, great, let's have dinner. So we did. So here I am in front of the father of biological dentistry in, in the United States, and uh, he hired me on the spot be one of his dentists and get involved. And so, of course, I did. I spent Fridays at working clinic. And it was really the first time in my life as a professional that I got to see dental medical integration. We were working with uh, Tom Levy, who's a well-known cardiologist. And we had a, well, I should say Dr. Huggins had an integrated clinic with all this happening and doing blood chemistries and getting involved in research as well. So I participated in some research study around root canals with them. And so on and on. And then all of a sudden, Dr. Huggins Clinic was shut down and it was state dental board came in. Basically, that was it. And that's why Dr. Levy became an attorney to defend Dr. Huggins because we really were not harming patients. It was more healing patients than anything that we were just going against standard care in my humble opinion. Fast forward to, let's say another 20 years. Well, that was the mid 90s, late 90s. I also participated in the late 90s on the research that was done on root that became the movie Root Cause. Yeah, I was one of the 12 dentists that helped supply the teeth because there was never any research done on root canals since Western Price, late 30s. So that was really interesting. We found that toxicity levels of dead teeth be very, very high and that really the, the medical profession should be getting involved in this. Such an interesting study, too. It was done by Professor Boyd Haley at the University of Kentucky. And it was really interesting that Huggins was smart enough to know that the problem with root canals was the off-gas, not so much the biome there, which is certainly not good because it's 100% stagnant on the inside of a root canal or a necrotic tooth. But it was the what made root canals dangerous is the off-gassing from the tooth, that stinky hydrogen sulfide smell, that cor- dead corpse smell. And that every time you're biting on a tooth that's dead, these gases are going bloodstream. And what we found is that the these hydrogen sulfide gases off-gassing are so dangerous. And why, the reason why gangrene is so dangerous is that these gases denature the enzymes that are responsible for metabolism. So this is a big deal. The reason why the treatment for death of the body has always been except in monogenesis. And yeah, that was an interesting moment. So a movie was made out of that, which was great. But course, the movie didn't last long, got taken down quickly. And the dental profession is really a mindset. And if it doesn't hurt, then it's not a problem. That's certainly the case with dental infections, especially the chronic that we see now co-mingling inside people's mouths and sinuses. And then about towards the last five or six years, spent a lot of time in Switzerland training at the Paracelsus Clinic under Dr. Rao, who I would say has been my biggest mentor in my life, really we at uh, the HUH Institute in Denver at the home of BioDentist, what we do is we have a medical department that's under medical directorship, and we have the dental office called BioDentist that's right there. So we really have this protocol that we brought back from all the great stuff that we learned in Switzerland. And of course, we can't do everything, but really my passion has been to make the, the dental, a uh, septic dental appointment very safe for our patients. 
and to really look deeply at the underlying disease, not just the repair of that disease. So biological dentistry is really starting to come around more and more. I share my wisdom with younger dentists now, and they're just all, you know, they perk up and, you know, want to know way. I mean, if, if a doctor and or a dentist really wants to become a healer, then they really have to look deeply into the, the holistic nature of the body and how it's integrated. And so anyway, that was a long answer, but. Yeah, no, no, I love that. And Jen, you have like amazing mentors and, you know, you were really in the front line, right? You had a front row seat, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Participating and, you know, really this big shift. I, I remember going to an IAOMT conference when it was in Vancouver, BC, maybe like 2013, 2014. And Hal Huggins was there right before I think he passed. Yeah. What year did he pass? He passed in 2014. Yeah, 2014. So I know he was, you know, quite sick then. And so but what a contribution he made, you know, to this profession and, you know, not without a fight, right? Or a lot of you know, so and is root cause um, the movie still not able to be found? Is that still? Uh... You could find it. It was nice when it first came out because it was free and anyone could watch it. But now it's still available. Uh, but it, I think it costs like four or five dollars to purchase it. Yeah. I think you can get it on yeah. Amazon Prime. And we'll kind of unpack, you know, the whole root canal piece, because I don't think I've had anyone talk about beyond the, you know, dead teeth and the fact that, you know, we have dead microbes in the uh, root canals and, you know, not only the dead tissue and the microbial kind of imbalance and the, you know, diseased bone that happens, but also that hydrogen gas, you know, I really, hydrogen sulfide gas, you know, that I really want to, you know, talk about it because that's I think, a really unique kind of other lens and, and makes sense. You know, gases, you know, travel so fast in, in the body and can affect so many different tissues. And then, yeah, Dr. Rao, I've, I've met him a few times and I've also been influenced. I've gone to bottom, bottom a handful of times and I want to, well, we're trying to go this year again. And, you know, after this whole. Yeah, same, same here. It's it's back to being open again. And yeah. I'm super excited to be there. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for his work and, you know, really, I, I'm so happy to hear this you know, I, I keep thinking, I, I love the quote from Buckminster Fuller, like, don't fight the existing system, create a new model. And I really feel like when we think about chronic disease care and chronic illness, we have to have like a really new model to present our patients in that integration, especially in one place of, you know, the, the biodentist and the, um, the holistic medical provider, whatever license they might have. It's It really takes a team approach. And I've always said that, you know, you have to have a really amazing dentist and really amazing doctor to really help that to be the really a smooth, profound experience uh, for your health. And so thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm so intrigued by your journey and the real, you know, maybe let's start at the root canals. And so you said you were already extracting root canals, you know, after probably meeting Dr. Huggins and, you know, the work. And so you had root canals from your patients to go into that study for the root cause movie. So what were you finding? Like what, what was going on with those teeth? So maybe and most of our patients know what root canals are and most of the audience knows. So I think we can just dive into like what you what you found and what was so curious there. Yeah, happy to dive into that because that's a great question. So first of all, let me just say to those people who don't know what a root canal is, I call that the embalming procedure for your tooth that day. And it's standard of care treatment for, for a toothache. So, or I also call it the taxidermy point for the tooth. So so the, the, the traditional approach right now is that if there's pain, then to devitalize the the body part here and, and nowhere in medicine is that even logical whatsoever but in dentistry because the tooth is the hardest structure in the body by far way harder than bone tissue that a tooth can be embalmed on the inside where the guts of the teeth where the you know, blood vessels arteries addicts and sense uh, nervous system inside the tooth that that's all removed and then embalmed filled with latex and basically a pat on the back it doesn't hurt it's fine while insurance disincentivizes all of that so so that's why root canals are so popular there's roughly 18 million a year that's nice 18 million just in the u.s yeah just i think that's what it's up to now and very you know the rates of chronic illness right and you know 18 million i mean this is why 
I'm so happy you're training people because it's like my colleagues, I'm like, we need like, you know, to shift the paradigm, we need so many more people to treat all these people who are so sick, you know, and, and that statistic right there makes a lot of sense of why we see such chronic illness in our country. 18 million a year. I didn't realize that. It's astonishing. And I'm currently in the position to, I'm building protocols to train dentists. And really the big, exciting question here is, how do we heal a tooth? So if there's a toothache, first of all, it has to start to diagnose. You have to understand if it's alive or not. You must have uh, cone veins. All my adult patients, it's required, whether they're in pain or not, because we can find silent infections as well. But anyway, backing up to, you know, my passion now is having built a protocol around what it takes to keep a tooth alive, because what's interesting about a tooth that not many people think about is it's the only body part swell. They cannot expand. And if it could, it would, but it wouldn't fit in the mouth, right? So swelling is a part of the inflammatory response. So the inflammatory response, as we all know, is pain, swelling, redness, fever. So those are the four tools. So the inflammatory response inside of a tooth is different than the inflammatory response everywhere else in the body. So rather than suppress inflammation, why don't we steer it? That's why biological medicine is so beautiful, because we can actually affect the arterial blood supply inside the tooth and obviously do the dentistry, because if the problem is acid attack, which is a cavity, or a stress fracture, or traumatic functionality, traumatic bite relationship, or all the above, then obviously you want to do the mechanistic treatment for the tooth, but you also want to have biological medicine involved dentally and get to the gut wall and get the gut wall involved in this too, as well as the extracellular matrix. No, that's a lot right there, but this is really how I feel is really the magic behind getting the body involved and this is different than the septic experience that we'll talk about later with, with infections. But with when there's dental vitality, the goal is always to keep the tooth alive and have the patient heal the tooth. And that's a great big topic for another day. There is a protocol that I've built around that that's quite stuff. So let's go back to what, you know. The- let's go back to the, the question about what did we find? No, no. Then I want to go back because I want to hear how to keep a tooth alive because there's this trend that's happening, like biological dentist quotes that they'll even say they're doing like an ozonated root canal kind of thing and or whatever, you know what I mean? How they're yeah. doing like a, a more laser, like, laser root canals with ozone and all that. Yeah, it's still dead. Yeah, yeah. It's still yeah, dead. Yeah, that's what. That's what I, yeah. So I want to really tease that out and some other, I'm fascinated to hear what you do. So what were you finding back in the nineties in those root canal tubes? Okay. So this is also super interesting. So we studied about 5,000 teeth and there's a dozen dentists that supplied 5,000 teeth over a two year period of time and sent them to Lloyd Haley in Kentucky. What we found was 100% of dead, all root canal are toxic, but they vary in degrees of toxicity. And what the variance is had well, obviously, the skill of the practitioner was, you know, how well was it sealed on the inside? How well was it disinfected on the inside? But back then, all root canals, instead of lasers and ozone, they were using Clorox bleach. I, I think even to this day, there's a lot of Clorox bleach being used on the inside of the tooth, which if that escapes outside of the tooth into the ligament and the bone, that is a step. So, and the tips, the apex of the teeth are variable. So that's a, in my opinion, that's a dangerous procedure, unless ozone lasers are used. And so that's a much better root canal. It's more biological to use ozone lasers, but it's still a dead body. So the disinfection of in, in that particular instance is higher, no question. But here's what we found in the study. The, the root canal teeth that had been in somebody's head for 20 some years were found to be, you know, this is a festering process. Okay? This is gangrene, progressive gangrene inside of a tooth. So what they found was that the older the root canals were, the more toxic. Said differently, if Johnny fell off his bicycle and broke his tooth that day and ended up in the dental office that afternoon and had a root canal because the pulp of the tooth was exposed and then that tooth was supplied to our study, you know, within months or so, we found that the toxicity was much level because the tooth didn't have time to fester. But generally, it's, it's hard to say. I think the festering process starts immediately and doesn't, and the patient's health really doesn't have a lot to do with the festering process because there is no blood supply inside the dead tooth. Okay, so this is a dead tooth. What really matters is how much soft tissue is in there, how much of a petri dish is inside of that tooth without absolutely zero oxygen and zero immune system, zero 
blood supply inside that too. So it's the ultimate stagnation disease is the, the root two. So that's what we found during the study. You know, and so in my practice, I recommend all root canals regardless of how old they are. And well over, I would say well over 75% of the teeth that we see on cone bean have these big yeah. And that's always curious because I'm in agreement. I would just, with my training and my knowledge, I don't think root canals belong in any human's, you know, mouth close to their head, all of the things that would, you know, right near their gut as we're swallowing our oral microbiome a lot, you know, and all of those things. I'm surprised that every now and then, you know, some dentists will look at a scan and will be like, oh, that looks like a good root canal or that root canal looks okay. And, and you're just like, you know, again, I, I understand when there's those kind of abscess at the end of the, the roots that are really... Yeah, radiolucencies. Yeah, that yeah. are easy to, you know, spot. But I think it's just a comment to the audience, like, you know, hey, like if you've been told that your root canal looks good, still, you know, just realize there's might be something on imaging that might not be detected. And this whole other you know, processes going on with the tooth. Do you ascribe, I know like Hal Huggins started that lab in Colorado Springs DNA connection and you could floss around the tooth and kind of, you know, see what was, you know, dysbiotic, you know, around that tooth. Do you feel like if people are on the fence or still need some information that's tangible and their comb beam is like, you know, kind of not as obvious as others that I'm sure we both have seen. Do you think that's a good way to lead them to the light or how do you, how do you, you know, are any way to yeah, great question. So regardless of what they look like on comb beam, all root canals are infected. And earlier in my career, when I was when I was like really grappling with the question of whether or not to tell every single patient to pull every single dead tooth, what I would do if the patient was on the fence but still went ahead with the surgery to remove the tooth is I would, for any patient that was curious about that, I would just cut the tooth in half after I extracted it and say, here, smell this. You have any any questions? And they all stink. Yeah, hundred percent. They all stink. Okay, especially the longer they've been in there. Okay, so regardless of what it looks like on cone beam, whether whether the nasties are at the apex of the tooth or on the side of the tooth or not, they're all dead and they're all toxic. And I've seen and and I've removed many teeth that look just fine on the X-ray, but the patient's convinced that you know my health problems are tied to my mouth. Here's the problem. And we take those out. It's always good when the abscess is less, but it's probably because the root can form better. And the, and at that point, the you know the abscess is going to be where the immune system gets to it. So that has a lot. So the patient's health has a lot of that as well. But regardless, end of story. All dead teeth are highly toxic. So you heard it here. You know, if you've had a root canal. You need to go see John or one of the colleagues. You know, in the country. Let's add to that because, you know, going to a traditional dentist and having a root canal pulled because to save money or, or something like that, uh, and I should have added to my sentence, they have to be removed safely, absolutely safely, because it is a septic experience. And in my practice, I also have rules that go way beyond that is there are absolutely no surgeries like this performed without, without a pre-op infusions, and a gut wall protocol. We include colonics as well because we're we're just really trying to prepare the gut wall for the for the assault to be on plot for the septic experience. And the other thing that I feel very strongly about is when dead teeth are removed to absolutely not leave another dead tooth somewhere else in the mouth and not leave cavitation sites anywhere else. Because this is a these are holes in the bone. So said differently, when there is a, a dead all dead teeth are removed at the same experience along with all of the cavitation. These are typically long sedation surgeries. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes we use immediate implants as well, uh, which is another conversation because people want their teeth back, of course. But when biological dentists are removing these dead teeth and leaving the cavitation behind, the patient is very susceptible to, to develop another cavitation where these extractions are. And it goes way beyond removal of the periodontal ligament. It's just the fact that there's gangrene somewhere else. And Infections in the body are a lot like fire in nature. It's based upon the condition. So in nature, fire is ripe to create a fire is you know, hot, dry weather, windy, dead plants. Like here in Colorado, you know, all it takes is a cigarette butt in dry forest. And next thing we know, we've got a major problem. And in the body, it's because our bodies are warm, dark, and moist. 
when you add acidic, stagnant, and oxygen deprivation, then we have the six ingredients to really for an infection to exist. And in fact, if you have those six conditions in the same tissue at the same time, you're guaranteed an infection. Okay. So what we can change is the acidity. So if we can help our patients become more alkaline, and if we can we can add uh, we can change the oxygen deprivation to oxygen saturation. And this is where ozone really comes in beautifully well. And then the last thing is stagnation. We can add flow. So if there's stagnation in the jawbone, cavitation, removing these stagnations, getting that flow and getting and even getting that energy back into the surgery site. So the body look at these wounds after all these teeth are pulled, cavitations are all cleaned out, and the body can recognize these wounds as being pristine because there's platelets that we can use. We can use the body's own growth factors that we can graft. We can build the inside of these extraction sites, cavitation sites post-surgically. And we can build the conditions inside of these things where now the body knows exactly what to do with these wounds. So rather than having this this massive inflammatory response, which is leads to pain and swelling, rather we don't have pain and swelling, okay? Because we've removed the death out of the body safely according to strict protocols. And now the wound being pristine inside with platelets, with the platelets in there releasing growth factors, which then recruits the immune system and the stem cells both. At the same time, so now we have all of these wounds that are pristine that are healing at the same time. Okay, and patients, their experience after this is like, whoa! And I've been septic my whole life, and now it's like a magic wand just went, and we've got all of this death out of mouth, and we've got the gut biome, uh, the gut prepared in advance, which is going to have a powerful effect on the microbiome. We've also prepared the extracellular matrix the inner ocean in the body, the inner salt water surrounds all of our cells. And if we can just get some basic work done in there to clean the, the, the extracellular matrix and we can upregulate and improve the biome, then have the dental surgery, you know, the, the big septic experience, but then we completely remove it safely. It's just amazing. And I had it done in my own body, only I added titanium removal with that. And it was just absolutely profound what happened to my own body after that. I know many of us who prescribe this have gone through. I had root canals removed myself and zirconia implants, and we were kind of in the middle of a, you know, change. So I, um, you know, I didn't have the immediate implants at that time, you know, just because of bit before all that happened. But, and yeah, I mean, what you're saying is, you know, absolutely amazing and, you know, gold standard and just kind of thinking of a few recent patients and John, it's been interesting. I've been tackling that because I've seen the protocols. I've seen a lot of patients do well with them. And then there's, I, I work with really sensitive people. So like the really within the chronically ill community, like the, you know, the mast cell activation and the sensitive of the sensitive who have the like percent of the things that are happening. That's a lot of my patients. And you know, that that teaches you a lot, right? It humbles you every day. Yeah. You know, I use a lot of bioenergetic testing and muscle testing. And I dance between like knowing that and doing the whole mouth. And then sometimes, you know, like recently I had to make the decision for what some woman, she was just, it was really interesting. She, a lovely patient, dear patient, she was even, I think she had three root canals, two cavitations, and then another root canal and two cavitations. And she was getting an infection on her toe, like the the right side, her toe was getting lit up and it was red and inflamed. And, you know, my muscle testing showed like, hey, just go forward with your mouth. It's going to get cleared up. And I, I had to make that decision where I told her to do one side at a time because her threshold, we, we did it very like within a month of each other. But I'm just saying my conflict because I was like, I know this, but, you know, sometimes there's that, that point where my sensitive patients also get blown out a little bit by doing too much all at once. But my point there is saying like, you know, even doing one side, her toe did clear up. She's gotten the other side successfully. She was, you know, we did all the support, the colonics, the IVs, the, I'm a big, the extracellular matrix phase. So I'm actually more like as, you know, somebody, I'm, I'm just coming to you as like a student of this work still as I've, I've only done this 13 years. And I'm like, Am I still made? Was that the wrong decision? <laughs> you know, like because it's like push that person through a a thing and get it over with, or you know, given what we know about the migration and the conditions, or you know, every now and then do we make those decisions to do one side at a time and then you know just get through it? I don't know if you do that anymore. 
tomorrow? Or do you just do it? Well, you know, I do have some patients. I should come back on the, you know, doing it all at the same time a little bit, but it's important to do them close to back to back as possible. You know, it's a little death leads to a little bit more death. And even with a great surgery and a great protocol. So I do have some patients where we only delay the stay. We only, I have a patient I'm going to be treating here pretty soon. And it's a full mouth retraction just because all the teeth are dead and falling out. It's just a mess. But, you know, this particular patient, we're just going to delay it by about a week. But we really can't expect the the upper jaw in this particular patient's case. We can't really expect the upper jaw to heal well when there's all of that infection, lower jaw. So, you know, we've, you know, the shorter we have those conditions scenario in the body, I think the better. Yeah, it's a good reminder for people who are planning their surgeries and trying to weigh these options and figuring out who to see. So I I really appreciate you stretching us to, you know, really accept that new, you know, paradigm. And, you know, if sometimes I'll have people get all their metal out first, like all at once, of course, and then kind of recover from that and then do the infection piece. And because I find that that might sometimes is too much if there's like all of that going. How do you feel about when people have amalgams still and all the work to do between root canals and extractions? I'm glad you brought this up because I feel strongly that teeth need to be in parasympathetic prior to the septic experience, prior to unleashing the lion. Yeah. So the mercury, we all know how many pathways are blocked and how it affects detoxification phase three at the transfer phase of the liver. And, you know, the mercury just gets in there and throws that. You're in Colorado. You probably hang out with Chris, right? Chris Shade? Do you? Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, <laughs> thank, I can thank Chris for this this knowledge here. He, he told us, you know, like, no, I'm friends with Chris too. So I, I just so appreciate his contribution to this field. And it's so important. The phase three, doesn't it? So it, it's all connected. We, gotta, we really need to be thinking about the whole body here. But anyway, back to that conversation. You know, the tooth decay is full of mold especially underneath metallic restorations, like the old gold crowns that more of a thing of the past now, thankfully, but, you know, these dissimilar metals in a wet acid environment. So if a person has porcelain fused metal crowns, which, is, you know, that's an alloy of its own. Gold crowns are an alloy. Silver filling, uh, amalgam mercury fillings are an alloy. And you have all these things in a wet acid environment. So based on the pH of the saliva is going to be how much galvanic activity is going to be going on various dissimilar metals, but we find all kinds of decay underneath there, and especially under the metals, a lot of black metal. Pop those off, and I always photograph the patients so they can just you know, let their eyes pop out and say, oh my God, I got black mold under my dental work, and I just took care of my house thinking I was done with this, and but I wasn't getting better, and you know, this pales in comparison to getting your house cleared up, cleared up of mold, get it out of your mouth. And the off-gassing for that. And then the other thing about that conversation is in the restoration of the teeth, I feel like our human's teeth are meant to be long and sharp. And they're meant to be in very, very exquisite balance. And that's really the, if I may say, it's one of my superpowers. It's just I'm a sculptor I'm, and lab technician. Even in my career as a dentist, and you know, way before I was a biological dentist, I was studying full mouth reconstruction, prosthetics, and also a lot of oral surgery, too. Those were my two. I felt like people needed that. You know, restorative dentistry, great. Prosthetics, yes, absolutely. Oral surgery, absolutely. But really combining that all with the protocol, you know, where I'm at now. But long, sharp, beautiful, properly guiding, contacting and guiding teeth. And you know, and that way we, we have the teeth in a parasympathetic response so they can feel, right? Because if, if, if teeth are in sympathetic response, that's part of the, the BioDentist Way protocol and saving the life of teeth. Part of that is, getting the physicality of the tooth so and, and the chemistry of the tooth right so that we can get the teeth into a parasympathetic response. Yeah. Intraorally. So and and that part of that is getting those metals out of there. And, and of course there's a protocol around patient safety around that, of course. That whole conversation about occlusion and malocclusion and TMJ and you know all the nuance there. I honestly have a hard time. I know there's specialized, I mean, from the off device to people who like you who are probably brilliant and, you know, looking at the shape and the size and the bite of the, you know, the, of the, all the contact and the teeth, but it's 
kind of a lost art, I feel. And it's hard to like look at people and, you know, I've just learned to muscle test and see if the occlusion is off because that can affect, I, I work with a lot of people's healing, helping their heal their brain. And so like that has a lot to do in my training with the balance of fluids and the brain. And it's a big part of our neurological, you know, health. And so, but I, I get lost. I, I'll see it and I don't know, you know, where to send them always because it's just, there's so many conflicting ideas. And, you know, I've seen people do all this work and people get worse, you know, so I I want people to know how you approach it. And then kind of any like overarching kind of language of how you communicate, like what you're trying to do, because I I think that's hard too. Yeah. So what's ideal is for the mouth and the teeth and the whole somatic napping system to be orthopedically balanced or, or orthopedically correct and dentally correct as well. What that means is for the skeletal base, which is the temporomandibular joint, TMJs, for them to be in the home sweet home ball and socket position. So that can be determined on patients that really have disarticulations, jaw joint, like that. We can, as long as the joint is not broken down, what we can find is just maybe some gentle repositioning of that. And this is where, you know, flat plane appliances can certainly help. But then also outside of dentistry, things like cranial sacral, dodge, chiropractic, I mean, the physical therapy, I mean, the list goes on and on. But if there's internal joint arrangement, that has to be figured out first. And joint injections like prolozone injections to that, to the TM joint, those would be very helpful to the joints. So anyway, once the skeletal position is determined, then what we want to do is we really want to have a design in mind of what the teeth are supposed to look like and where they're supposed to touch and guide. And being the sculptor, sculptor of teeth that I am, which means I, re- I really like to build bites in composite fillings now that they're so durable and compatible. And again, this is still plastic. It's resin. It's called it resin. So it's not perfect, but it's gotten much, much better in the last 10 years. And when there's so much tooth wear that when people grind their teeth and they've had lost vertical, like they have short teeth, what we can do is now we can build typically from a, a set of blueprints, which I call a diagnostic wax up in severe cases where the vertical dimension has been altered greatly due to all this wear and abfraction bending and breaking and all these dissimilar metals that outwear natural teeth by a lot. And so the big mess is, you know, how do we, just like if we're going to build a house, what's our blueprints and where we go with it? So number one, establish proper jaw joint position so that it's orthopedic and comfortable. Number two, determine the dental anatomy prior to doing dental restoration. And three, I like to work from off of diagnostic wax ups or digital diagnostic wax up and, and then proceed with building it myself, you know, at a known vertical dimension to where now, you know, in one appointment, I could build an entire lower arch from, you know, a three millimeter short teeth. I could build that up in a matter of hours. And that's enough for one day. But, and then the next week, have the patient come back and we build the upper teeth down into the lower teeth. So that they're tall, sharp, and beautiful. And exquisitely balanced and, and getting the molars out of the way. It's really the responsibility of the front teeth. Okay, so the incisors and the canines to send the sensory information to the brain that says this is where the guide planes are. So that the molars, which are the crusher teeth, so that they are out of occlusion as soon as the jaw moves left, right, or forward. All you want all the teeth to touch at the same time when when strictly biting down, but as soon as the jaw moves in a excursive movement, you really want the molars out of the way because they're not designed to bend. And that's a disease called that fraction or the damage to the sides of the roots. People wonder why their gums are receding. Well, this is it. It's not because you're brushing the teeth apart, it's because the molars are in the way of the muscle. Okay. And said differently, it's the front teeth are, are not responsible for protecting the back teeth. So all this sensory information that comes from the anterior teeth, part of the parasympathetic response of sensory information coming to the brain. So the motor information coming from the brain to drive the muscles is all, you know, in harmony. And it's just a beautiful thing. And I think a dentist really has to be trained in, in how to do that. And there's a lot of different philosophies in that. Some, in my opinion, there's just way too many crowns involved. You know, you can always go to crowns later. You can start with the fillings. And, you know, if a few of those teeth are not strong enough and they break, okay, you can have a crown then. But just in the, in the interest of conservative approach, but still a thorough approach, conservative approach to the actual mechanics of, of rebuilding tooth structure, especially when teeth are sensitive and they need to heal. I just see a lot of people get a lot of, and, you know, and try to get the reconstruction done that way. And sure enough, if a few of those teeth die in the process, it may be 
as a result of the trauma or maybe resulted just coincidence. On the way out anyway, but nonetheless, just a conservative approach that's orthopedically correct, long and sharp, beautiful teeth. You know, I do a lot of that. It's just one of the greatest services dentists provide is biological and still be a you know master reconstruction. Yeah, and I really think that's just such a lost art in dentistry. So again, I, I'm so grateful. We'll talk at the end about how you're training people because I mean, there's probably only a handful of colleagues I'm sure that you talk to in the country who are doing all these, you know, pieces, you know, if if that. And you know, this isn't an Invisalign people. This is like a whole other, you know, just beautiful, you know, way to really work with how we were really beautifully designed that it gets lost. And you know, John, I mean, I, I you know, kind of starts in beginning right too with you know I have a young daughter she's about to turn five and I just see her like oral facial development and I know too much and unfortunately she's a mouth breather and I'm thinking like oh god like what am I gonna do and I'm just like oh my gosh you know so I you know we're always you know with our family it's always you you balance over diagnosing your child to like okay when to intervene but so all of the work that you're talking about will obviously get the tongue and the airway most likely in the right place, right? You know, the, not a whole other, you know, conversation. Yeah. You know, I refer to oral facial myologists for that kind of thing. You know, when I see a constriction, you know, obstructive sleep apnea, those kind of things too, you know, if the tonsils are really, really swollen, then then I'm always looking for the underlying infections. Like why, why is the tonsil inflamed? It's basically the lymph filter for the, the sinuses of the mouth. So look upstream from where the tonsils are. And of course we can inject ozone and do prolozone therapy on the tonsils. And that's something we do during surgery too. Just let's just get the tonsils act for the patient. It's a it's a big deal, especially during septic experiences. But the airway thing is, you know, of all the things I've I kind of come across my plate is like, okay, there's one thing I can't do at all. And there's so many good people around that really know airway. And I have a couple of dentists that I work with locally in the Denver in the front range of Colorado here that are very good at that. And I refer to them. And I had an oral facial myologist work in my office for a long time, and that's what she did. She had a private practice there. So really, I think getting oral facial myologists involved in the process too, and there's a lot that can be done with airway. You know, I have a laser that I use with airway. We could tighten collagen, soft palate. That's a no-brainer to do that. You know, if it really comes down to the size of the tongue and the positioning of the jaw, I just encourage patients. that be, again, one of the things we like to do to get the airway established prior to doing taking out chronic infections if possible. Yeah, and for that oxygenation piece, you know. Yeah, really great point. Do you do anything with lip and tongue tie? Those yep. seem to be like in adults more of an issue than I like my my daughter did have a tongue tie that we diagnosed really early just because of breastfeeding. And you know, I think with some of the methylation kind of epigenetic, you know, blocks we're maybe seeing some of, you know, this a little bit more and more. But like, yeah, what's your lens on like looking that with the adults you work with? Well, I think I think if that's a, a treatment that's needed, I think the laser is the only way. Yeah. You know, and working with an oral facial myologist again, I think, you know, the dentist it would do you know, and I, I, I tend not to do so much of that if it again I refer it out, but you know, the laser that I use is perfectly capable of addressing that. And the laser is such a different experience instead of cold steel snipping. We have lasers now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have lasers now, use them. It just comes up a lot. So I was you know, wanting your opinion there. So we've covered metals, we've covered root canals, we've covered that you have this amazing way to this whole other protocol to like save vital teeth. You know, we've covered the bite in your opinion there. Do you want to weave in like, I mean, you've talked a little bit about the, you know, the gut and the extracellular matrix and how you look at the whole body, but you know, wherever you feel called next to go, John, that you feel like we haven't fleshed out enough in your area of expertise because, you know, these are like metals are a big issue for me, root canals, cavitations, you know, and the bite. And then, uh, yeah, however, you know, else you dance between all of this, I, I'd love to learn more. Oh, that's a great big question. Really, you know, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm nearing the end of my career as a dentist. I would love to work part-time and move on to writing a book and making a 12-part documentary about not just the problems, but really the solution, bring the good news. And really, the good news is really integrated biological medicine associated with uh, dental experiences, whether they're surgical, whether they're jawbone surgeries, or even just getting the teeth into parasympathetic infusions help tremendously when there's restorative dentistry with post-op sensitivity. Yeah. 
And, you know, just keeping that, infl- steering that inflammation that I talked about earlier. I guess the best way I could sum this up is, you know, my passion now is really to train my army of dentists. And really, if anybody's listening to this that knows dentists or, or they have a dentist and they want their dentist to be aligned with some of the things that were said today, then we, we have at the HUH Institute, stands for Human Universal Health Institute.com. It's in Denver, backslash the biodentist. That's where we have trainings. My second training will be this fall at the last weekend in October. We are training not just dentists, but we're also training dental staff, including assistants, dental administrative team, hygienists. I also invite doctors and chiropractors, DOs, naturopaths, physical therapists, and nurses to all come and learn about this system that we have called the gut. And it's really a great big conversation about the gut and the matrix and what we can do to improve those things and really, you know, approach it from the dental perspective. And I'm most excited to train, to really to train doctors. I want to get to the medical profession now, show them the science that we have coming out of Germany on cavitation with ranties and cytokine storms that we're seeing with cavitation sites, teeth and, and having a big discussion with dentists about how to do these surgeries and get lasers involved. We have sponsorship from the laser that I use, also the immediate implants that are used. So these these companies are there. So dentists have these one-on-one interactions with these companies that I just feel like are such a huge part of what we do at BioDentist. And for patients, having a really a, a ground zero where they can come and get information about where they are right now and getting some basic information so that they can learn about more about biological dentistry and decide if that's what they want or or if they're convinced that they need a biodentist but they're not sure where to go or they just but now my practice is patients from all over that get off airplanes and come to Denver and they stay with us for an entire week while we do the whole protocol and they come to our building and we have a staff in the garden and we just we take care of things so that it's just easy. And I have to thank the Swiss for that, you know, the Swiss clinics and how they do, they're just top shelf. It's just so designed about, you know, letting people come in and providing a healing environment for them so people can just have a lot less anxiety around a dental experience. Because I really think that's a, that's just a, a thing of the past, you know, it really is. There doesn't have to be pain and suffering and fear related to this. I get that there's a lot of emotion around that. And that's part of the healing journey that certainly cannot be ignored. But, you know, really having but just a really, like I said, a kind of a ground zero where people come is nowadays we just say, do your research. And if you want, come to Denver. I know, right? We can take care of you. We know. Well, we do. Yeah, I know. And there's so much, as you said, it's the past, the traumatic dental, you know, experiences. And, you know, as the body is safe place to have these, you know, healing procedures, the body can, you know, release and offload all that needs to, you know, be released, right? So that they can really fully, you know, enjoy this next chapter of health and well-being and all the things. I, I love your Human Universal Health Institute. That's wonderful. So, and, and really, thank you. I, I've been, you know, I have a fair amount of dentist friends and I'm just like, who are you guys training? You know, like we, we need help, you know. The biogenists, you know, a lot of us that have been around for a long time, we all know each other. We're all friends and it's really up to us to get together. And I guess in closing, I'd like to say that I'm also working very hard to see that biological dentistry is the next specialty, recognized specialty, so that there actually can be some credentials around it. There can be way, way more than, and, and nothing against IOM too. I love them and all the work they've done. I've been a member for 25 years. But let's really, let's get this conversation going and let's get rid of some of the hurdles, you know, on the legal front and stop the fear in our profession. You know, I've had my own experience with that and I have experience that I can teach dentists on how to proceed without fear of losing their licenses or being attacked. You know, it's still out there, of course. We still have a very all-powerful disease care system, but, and the other thing is I'd like to someday see insurance industry stop the ridiculous separation of the mouth and the body. And if, you know, if you can have a whole bunch of money for open heart surgery, then you can have a whole bunch of money to get your mouth fixed. We can get the world back on track when it comes around to like all the disease, major life-threatening diseases that we now have science are related back to the mouth, which is by the way, the two killers are 
And we've got science that ties back to dental disease and, and these big killers and autoimmune decay and allergies and all this stuff. So, you know, the mouth is is kind of the disruptor, if you will. Kind of like how Amazon is a big disruptor to retail. I think the mouth is the disruptor to medicine. And we have to stop separating the mouth and the body. And and what if someday there's a thing called body insurance that includes your mouth? Okay. Imagine that. So people can actually say, I can afford to have what's needed in my mouth so I can get off all these pills and help my body heal in that way. So I, I dream of a day when maybe even the insurance industry comes around and you know the medical profession comes around and dentistry is well poised and trained to be deeply biological and you know and have rules that we live by so that we can we can obey the laws of nature through these surgical experiences and really enlighten the whole medical profession and dental profession that way. That's that's where my head swims. I love it. I love it. I love the vision. And I, I think, you know, we're on this really, I mean, there's just so many, I mean, you met like these wonderful men who really led, you know, this movement. And now that was a very different time, right? You know, the 80s, 90s to now. And I, I feel like we're on a precipice that people are so sick and they're like demanding, you know, they've gone to all the, you know, best clinics and the best, you know, universities, and they're still left with answers and poor health. And, you know, I, I also think like there's, you know, within the medical professions, it's pretty horrible to like go to school half your life and then not be able to really see somebody truly heal. Right. And so, you know, I, I think there's, yeah, I, I just, I'm an optimist. I do feel a sense of hope, like the, the time is now for really leading this new path for the dentistry and your vision about this integration of really the root cause. So I'm excited. I'm excited. So just please, please just spend your time, you know, doing this. We we would really all benefit and we're so grateful for expertise and it's really lovely to get to know you john i really appreciate your time and i've, I've learned a lot a lot from you today so i i'm really grateful yeah likewise it's been a long time coming so i'm glad it happened today and what a pleasure just to be able to be in this position well thank you john we'll have your information in the show notes and we're really grateful to have you on the podcast thank you again you're welcome my pleasure Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. John Augsburger. Please check out his website and all of his great information on where he is training dentists. And I hope that you have been enjoying these podcasts and that they are informing you on your path to healing and well-being. And I hope you have a beautiful day.